I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life. Because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today is May 31st, the last day of Mental Health Awareness Month. So it is fitting that my final episode of the season addresses mental health issues at work. Last week, I brought together three amazing leaders to talk about how they address mental health issues in their organizations and with their clients for a panel discussion. It was so amazing that I wanted to share it with all of you. I promise you will walk away with a roll up your sleeves and practical approach for addressing these issues at work and in life. And even more important, you will come away inspired and hopeful. I am going to let these three amazing humans introduce themselves. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I am Erica Keswin, and I'm really excited to be here. I am a workplace strategist, an author, a speaker. I've spent 25 plus years in the human capital space, um, helping companies improve performance through people. And I I recognize a lot of these names. Excited to meet those of you who don't know. Um, I've written a couple of books. uh, The most recent one called Rituals Roadmap, the first one called Bring Your Human to Work. And I'm here um, on behalf or excited to be partnering with Terawatt. Um, which is a cohort-based group coaching startup, which is a a really cool company where they bring groups of people together within a company to provide coaching. I'm actually one of the coaches and one of my favorite things about them, and this is sort of where, oh, why they had me at hello, which is um, their tagline is because everybody deserves a good coach, not just a coach, but everybody deserves a good coach, which I agree. And Leonora, who you'll meet on our panel, is also one of the Terrell coaches. So our plan for today is that I am going to let our three very, very esteemed panelists introduce themselves because I always feel like they can do a better job than I can. And then we're going to dive in. We're going to take questions. We're going to leave dedicated time for questions on the end, but I love a good chat function. So feel free to comment, feel free to put questions in as we go and and we will organically try to weave them in. So without further ado, I, you know, Leonora, I said your name first, so I'm going to start with you. I'm going to give you guys each about a minute to introduce yourselves and what made you say yes to, to joining me today. Well, thank you so much for that great introduction, Erica. And I'm so excited to be with all of you. I feel grateful for anyone who volunteers to spend more time on Zoom these days. So thank you very much. Um, I am an executive coach based in Nashville, Tennessee. My practice focuses on the leadership, primarily of family-owned businesses and the teams who surround them, although I support other types of businesses as well. And I also have a side hustle teaching um, negotiation and corporate social responsibility at Vanderbilt University here in Nashville. Um, And so I said yes to this, like, to be clear, I initially said no, and we'll get into the reasons why. And the reason I said no is that as a coach, my technical training is not mental health. And as a coach, mental wellness is what I wheel and deal in all day. So we'll talk more about that. Hopefully that was under a minute, Erica. That that was awesome. And yes, I love sharing that that you did say did say no to this at first. So <laughs> thank you. Which you know what? Let's all be honest. And and <laughs> another Zoom, but I think that that's that's really important because we're none of us for the record. Although I, I think I know the other two panelists enough to know that none of us are experts in that sense of the word that, you know, we're not going to be someone that's going to diagnose someone with a with a real mental health illness. Yet we are all dealing with this in all of our lives at work, probably and at home every day. So uh, Nicholas, take it away. 
course. Thanks, Erica. So uh, my name is Nicholas Griggstrain. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, and I work in diversity and inclusion for a company named Endeavor. Uh, it's a media, sports, fashion uh, conglomerate. And so right now, I'm, I'm based in London. So it is around 8 o'clock in, our, uh, in London right now. So I will be taking a late dinner. I was thinking to myself, can I have a glass of wine while I sit yeah. on a panel around mental health? Yeah, I don't have it in my office. I need to go restock my my wine. Uh, but you know, I'm said yes to Erica because I will say yes to anything that Erica asked me to do. Um, but then you know, we just had a really fantastic mental health week uh, at our company, working in diversity and inclusion. Daisy and I were talking about this right before we get on. It is a full mental health job, mental wellness job. Everything is through a D and I lens, um, and. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's a conversation that we have all the time in returns to burnout. Uh, specifically, you know, we just got through the pandemic, right? And well, got through. Meanwhile, you know, people are still testing positive left and right. But um, it's, it's just something that we always talk about, and and it's an extension of our everyday. So um, happy to always have a conversation and uh, dive deeper with this incredible panel that I feel lucky to be a part of. Right. Well, yeah, and and when Nicholas wrote me back, he said, "I'm even going to be." more ready and rested to do this because you just got back from your own um, vacation break, hopefully a mental health break. So thank you for jumping right back into this after your, uh, after your time away. And last but certainly not least, Daisy, whose birthday was yesterday and delivered the commencement address at her alma mater, Bucknell, and um, wrote an amazing book called The Inclusion Revolution, which we'll talk about. Uh, oh, we have a few people here that have it in the in the background. So I love that. Um, all right, Daisy, take it away. Thank you so much, Erica. Hello, everyone. I'm Daisy Oje Dominguez, Chief People Officer at Vice Media Group. I have dedicated my career to transforming organizational cultures, um, focusing on equity, inclusion, frankly, courage and love in the workplace. Um, and I like, <laughs> like Nicholas, don't say no um, to Erica. I should say my pronouns are she, her and Aja. And I am speaking to all of you from my home office in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and to speak a little bit about mental health. Uh, we are uh, once again quarantining in my household. My husband just tested positive with COVID. Um, I just barely recuperated from it several weeks ago. Um, and so mental health, physical health, all the healths are you know, top of mind um, for me. And also would always, always say yes to Erica. And I was extra excited to say yes to Erica this time because mental health is important. It's, it's important at every stage of life. And it is incredibly important in the workplace. It has always been important, but we are speaking about it now in ways that we hadn't before. Um, and I was excited to come and share what I've learned, what I'm testing, and also what I still want to learn from uh, my fellow um, panelists. So thrilled to be here. Thank you, Erica. All right. Sounds good. So um, the way that I, and you all can, my three panelists, feel free to you know, tag on the things that each other says and, you know, versus I, I tend to manage, you know, run um, a more organic kind of panel. And I, I, you know, I probably won't ask the same questions to all three of you, but we'll leave it loose in that way. But Leonore, I'm going to go back to you just to kick it off and, you know, just tell everybody a little bit more about, you know, why you ultimately said yes and, and what is keeping 
you know, some of your clients up at night from a mental health perspective. And although, although when you reminded me in your intro that you do a lot of stuff with families, I was thinking, oh my God, well, of course, if you're doing family business, we know we can't, you know, pick our, we can pick our friends. We can't pick our family. So there must be a whole other level of mental health stress as it relates to family businesses. But, but tell us what's, you know, what's on your mind. Yeah. So thank you for the question. And I'm actually going to start by answering that question with a story from a real client um, that took place yesterday. So this is hot off the presses, right? Since you and I spoke and we had a conversation. This is a person who is facing some career transition and has really consequential family um, issues that for which she's responsible and, and she's a single mom, but she also is is looking at taking this big new job. That story is probably relatable in some way, shape, or form to everyone on this call. Um, in some way that you know, professional responsibilities and personal responsibilities. And she was talking about some of the stresses in her home life, and it sort of got into some of the things from her past that got her to the place where she ended up confronting some addiction issues and stuff. And at the end of the conversation, she said. I feel like I'm talking to my therapist. Is that normal? So in some ways, I was so glad she asked that question because that is the heart of why I originally said no, because I'm not a therapist. I have no clinical training. I'm not a diagnostician. And I like to be both clear and careful in working with clients to make sure that they understand that I am not a therapist. And But when, when this client asked a question, I said, you know, that's a really, it's a great question. and. I, in fact, feel completely comfortable having this conversation in the context of coaching because while I'm not a mental health clinician or diagnostician, we absolutely need to understand the state of your mental wellness in order to build what's going to come next for you. And so I would extrapolate that as a takeaway. I don't know the demographics of this call, whether you're clinicians or whether you're um, in workplaces, I imagine that there are probably a number of people who are not clinicians who are working in organizations. And I would offer you the same thing that I sort of concluded in this conversation with her, that we don't have to be trained in diagnosing mental health issues in order to understand that we need to be aware of them in the workplace and how they present and how they impact the people with whom we work. I mean, it's, and I think with all of us, the pandemic has accelerated many issues um, in the world. And this is one of them. And I think in many ways for for the better, that that we that this is front and center for so many of us. And then I'm not surprised it's it's coming up like this from a, you know, in from a coaching perspective. So thank you for that. So Daisy, I'm going to go to you and then I would love to the Nicholas, I'm going to ask you in a minute about some of these specific programs. But Daisy, you know, it's interesting when I when I said that I would do this panel um, and and organize speakers and and think about mental health and wellness, you know, I do some work in the DNI space, but that is definitely not my expertise. So I did think it was interesting. And and Nicholas, feel free to like pipe in after Daisy on this one too. That that you two were both. This is so interrelated. This is so connected. So talk to us about that because I don't think everybody would have rushed to make to have that leap in their mind. Yeah, absolutely, Erica. And the, the interconnection, just to be clear, didn't just happen last month. We've been seeing this for the last two and a half years um, plus. The, you know, the, the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion is about creating a wholeness, a connectedness, a belonging in the workplace. And it's 
really hard to feel connected and a sense of belonging in the workplace when you can't share what is happening in your life, when you can't have a proper conversation with your manager about the stressors, the trauma, the awfulness, the happiness, all you know, all of the pieces of, of who we are. Um, and so for, and, and for me also, I should say, I work at Vice Media, which is a youth media company. And, you know, the nature of our work is to be on the leading edge of culture. Well, the leading edge of culture has been leading us for quite some time to talk about burnout, to talk about mental health. Um, you know, I, I recently met the Surgeon General, um, U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, and we were talking a bit about um, the public health advisory warning that um, that he shared in December of last year, um, basically warning about the rise in mental health problems among children, adolescents, and young adults, which is pretty much Vice's audience and our workforce in many ways. And if it's not our direct workforce, it, you know, you've got to think about it also in terms of what parents are carrying. You know, I have, I have, I I have, and work with parents of teenagers who are struggling with what it looks like. I have, I happen to have one of those teenagers as well. Um, you know, but you know, our mental well-being benefits and our program offerings have to address that. But I will say that for me, my biggest aha moment about how this this was something that was here to stay as a workforce initiative was I joined Vice two years ago. I joined two weeks before George Floyd was murdered and the world went, you know, upside down. And having the experience of, of having been a, a DNI professional for two years, for sorry, for two decades, allowed me to hold space for the trauma and anguish and pain that people around me were having, but also to ensure that I was in parallel coaching managers to do their job, right? Coaching managers to listen to what their team members truly needed. Coaching my managers to, you know, to, to speak and to engage, even when they didn't know what to say, but to show evidence of care, because that alone lightens up the load on your employees. And around that time, we were reviewing our, we call them community groups, our employee resource groups. And a few employees um, uh, you know, showed up and said, we want to create a wellness community group. Mm. Um, and, and so I said, well, that's a new one. Cool. <laughs> you know, what, let's see, what do you want to do? And when they started proposing the programming, I mean, we've done a decolonizing mental health workshop. We have done a, you know, and, and by we, I mean, they have led it. I have supported it. Um, we have done a racial trauma in the workplace workshop. I mean, we have done and, and they have put together content and experiences that have truly elevated the conversation of, of well-being. And in turn, my team has hyper-focused on, well, what do our benefits look like? Right? What, do, you know, what do our offerings look like? We just released, as many companies did, our mental health guide for the month in celebration of that and worked globally because we have we're in over 20 countries. And so we want to make sure that our language and our approach is resonant to the UK, to Singapore, to Vienna. I mean, we were we were really trying to Canada everywhere. Um, we just closed Latin America. So Latin America was 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 the one that we were um going to add a few pieces to it. And as we were thinking about it, what we wanted to really be mindful of is what are the three stages of what this could look like? Like, you know, we we tend to talk about mental well-being 
kind of like when you're all the way at the at the end of what you need in life, right? Like, like you're just like you're you're exhausted, you're desperate, you're 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 at the tail end, and you need the mental well-being benefits now. Well, actually, we don't want you to get to that stage. We want you to be preemptive in what support you need and and how you need it. And so we put together this little um, I don't know if I, I I can call it a a a bit of a a check-in. And so I just said, remember, it's okay to ask what kind of help do you need. Do you need immediate help? Do you need ongoing help? Do you need navigational help? And then our benefits are tied to these pieces. And I'll close because I'm, I'm sure Nicholas wants yeah. to add a lot more to that. Um, what I will say, the big learning for us and, and the element that I've always been particularly keen on is it's not enough to just show awareness about this, right? Erica knows this because this is really the drive behind my book, Inclusion Revolution. Yeah, awareness is nice, but awareness without action doesn't get you anywhere. And so the action comes from your managers. And it's the parallel of everything that we create for managers. It's how do you have these conversations, not just send them to the benefits guide, not just send them to the benefits lead, but how do you encourage the conversations with your employees so that they feel comfortable coming to you so that they feel a sense of trust coming to you. And so that even if you don't have all the answers, again, you're showing that evidence of care. Wow. Um, Great. Well, thank you. And and any of these resources, if you all three of you have things afterwards that you'd be willing to share with the group um, that aren't proprietary, I think that would be, that would be great. Um, So awareness, we need awareness, but more than that, we need, we need action and an impact. And Nicholas, when, when you and I spoke, you talked about, um, you know, hosting what you called good times minds, which included all different kinds of programming. So with, you know, what kinds of things from an action standpoint, you know, is Endeavor doing and, or feel free to weigh in on, on the diversity, you know, conversation as well. Yeah, definitely. So when, when we think of mental health, mental wellness, we are the agency culture. Which we let's not shy away from what that is, right? It's a high pace, head down, focus, always on. These are buzzwords that are always thrown around in our environments, in entertainment, fashion, and sports, right? Very high profile, high energy spaces. Mm-hmm. And when we think about diversifying these spaces, you know, you're you're welcoming diversifying any spaces, right? You're welcoming people who have been historically excluded, right? Which they have been historically excluded for reasons, right? Or there are barriers and and, and gates that have been up that need to come down, which also require change. Well, not everyone has changed, right? And that's where we're we're working towards it. Our industries are moving towards a goal of diversifying our spaces. But when you have someone from an underrepresented group in a space where they may not feel welcome, there's additional burdens that their experience then leans into this specific space at the specific time. And so I think when we think of intersectionality, when we think of somebody's identity walking into a space, whatever space, we've all walked into a space where we feel uncomfortable. Um, That adds, at a workplace, a lot of layers to hits on your mental health, on your mental wellness. And when you add that on top of a crazy environment already, right? I have a door to my office. I can close my door and say, see you later, right? But newer employees or people who are just on the floor don't have that luxury, right? And so I think... You know, when we think of diversity, we think of age, gender, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity. Are you out at work? And does that lay on you? You know, every day that these are things where 
not everyone has to think of. But if you are a trans, black, non-binary person, that intersectionality adds a lot of complexity to your day-to-day and how you function. So I think it's really important for us to think about how you know, mental health and mental wellness are directly attached to your experience and how you, you know, experience your day-to-day and then how you experience yourself when you show up to work and, what, and, and how all those interconnect. I think for us, right, we're on a... We are, I, I say Endeavor is a startup of uh, 100-year-old companies, basically. Companies from the dinosaur ages who are trying to you know, bring back into, into the now. Um, and so every, every single one of our companies around it is in a different part of their journey. Um, and so when we think, when we say Endeavor, which is a large holding company, what we do is we use our microphone to at least spark that uh, across all levels. And so what Erica was mentioning is, is that we call Good Minds Week. Uh, and that started, I think we started that in 2018 or 2019, just to really bring focus around mental health. Mental health is a huge conversation within the music touring business. A lot of high-profile celebrities, you know, are unfortunately victims of suicide on, the, on extreme cases, as well as just that touring lifestyle, right? Is is very difficult. Music agenting is the highest level of sales, right? It's 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 very much so a cutthroat space, and so we wanted to make sure that we had. Spaces, actions dedicated to you know at least bringing recognition and potentially some opportunities to create habits um, towards just better um, better spaces for your mental health. So a few things that we did in all over the world to global moment. We had a good a feel good fair, right? So a bunch of wellness uh, driven products provided. We had doctors to talk about alignment and how that can affect your energy. Um, sound baths were there, which we've had at our WME offices for years. Um, and so really just giving individuals a moment to take a rest, right? To, to decompress, which by the way, it is, you know, in the middle of the night and, and I'm still on full energy, right? That's how we all, that's how we're groomed to operate. So it's something to just disconnect. We had conversations on the importance of unplugging, which if you ask everyone at this, in this building, 90% will not even understand what the word unplug means. So right, really just getting these, this, these new muscles. We had an office in marketing at 12 p.m. Every, everyone had to leave the office and go on a 30-minute walk in London. Rain, rain or shine. You know, These are moments, breaks, things that we're just trying to really in, implement physical new habits. And Daisy, when you talk about you know, the, the trauma training that, that you're at, you know, one day... I won't even kid. One day we hope to be there. Right, you know that's not where our organization's journey is at, and I think that's something to just be honest and real with whoever's on, wherever you're at. Like you could be, you know, we have strengths in other areas, right? But this is something that, because of the nature of our business, we're really trying to groom hundreds of years of habits out of individuals. And I think, you know, I'm one. Anyone who there's people who know me on this call, I'll call it as this, you know, and that's where we're at. Um, and so part of an organization's health by acknowledging where we're at. So that's a little of where we're at. um, And it continues to continues to evolve. Right. I know. I think that 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 is a really good point. I mean, we are all in different places along this journey. And I do think what industry you're in, what, and we'll get into this, you know, geography, generational issues, everybody approaches this very differently. You know, it seems like what you're doing, it's very intentional. Um, even just getting everybody outside of the office, you know, once a week at 12 o'clock to go for a walk. We have to push people to take a break, even if it's a short one. 
Um, so on the generational question, you know, Leonor, I'm going to go back to you. You know, when I, I don't know, some of you I know, because I recognize you on the, on the Zoom, I sent out my newsletter this week announcing this panel. And I, I wrote um, a woman at Work Human last week shared an anecdote at dinner where she said, you know, we have all these generations at work. She's like, my Gen Zers will, will, you know, will talk about that they're bipolar on TikTok. You know, my 39-year-old colleague walks in and says, you know, I'm feeling a little depressed today. And then my, you know, my Gen Xers and, and especially the baby boomers are like, oh my God, you know, did they really say that out loud? Like just such a different approach to this topic. And so, you know, Leonora, in your work, um, you know, especially with with like family businesses, people of all different ages, um, and your work as a professor at, at Vanderbilt, you know, what are you seeing in terms of generational issues? Yeah. So I, I think it's such an important question. And I will say, as I was listening to both Daisy and Nicholas describe the initiatives that their respective companies are undertaking, I had this very strong sense that they're on the right side of history. And I don't just mean that as a personal moral conviction, although I do, but also that Gen Z is not going to stand for having mental health be something that's shoved under the rug and looked down upon for them. And I see this in my classroom at Vanderbilt. It is no different to tell a professor that you're not coming to class because you're having a a mental health breakdown than it is to say, I have COVID. Like those are equally valid reasons to bow out for the day. And different generations and different people within generations, we can't treat generations as monoliths, right? Certainly not. We may have different feelings about that, but that's the way the world is more and more. And so the companies that aren't keeping up to that generational shift, I think are going to fall behind for sure. The other thing that I would say is that the, the pendulum is swinging from having mental health and mental wellness having been something that people didn't talk about that was very private towards it's being talked about a lot. And I know that there are some people who feel that right now, perhaps it may be getting more airtime than it deserves. So I don't know that I agree with that, but that's certainly when you talk intergenerationally about mental health, you do, you know, as you said, Erica, the sort of baby boomer who's like, I can't believe this person just said that out loud. And so the irony is that that contributes to workplace tension that I think degrades mental health across generations. So it's an uncomfortable time for a lot of people in navigating this. But, you know, I I do think when I think about my Gen Zers in my Vanderbilt classroom, that increasingly these issues are going to be just table stakes for, for companies that are looking to attract Gen Z talent. And I'll just share this one anecdote. So in my corporate social responsibility class, which is essentially an ESG class, I poll my students on the first day to ask what issues they care most about. And I had an assumption going in that climate change would be where they wanted to focus the most. And I was wrong. Number one was diversity and inclusion by far. And what does that mean to them? And I think, you know, Daisy, you in particular have been really intentional in drawing this connection between DNI work and mental health. It's that any one of us on any given day brings our own mental headspace and a big part, and that's the D, a big part of the inclusion is that it has to be okay that those things show up in our workplace. Like this business of, oh, we check personal at the door. That's anachronistic. It's not realistic. 
So it ties very closely into inclusion. And if you can really get to that B, that belonging in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work, then regardless of your mental health space, there's a place for you in your workplace. I mean, that's, I think, what Gen Z is pushing us all toward. And it really sounds like the work, Daisy and Nicholas, that you're both doing so intentionally in your organizations. Yeah, no, it's they, well, and that's, that, this is exactly, I mean, I just got goosebumps. I mean, that's why I wanted the three of you on here. I mean, for, for that reason, for these perspectives. So, um, so thank you. And I guess both Nicholas and Daisy would love just your take on, on what you're seeing generationally, or also before we went live, we were also talking about, you know, geographic diversity in terms of how people in different parts of the world are, are open to addressing wellness or, or not. So Nicholas, I'll go back to you and then to Daisy. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think from a generational standpoint, I have people come into my office, which I'm a millennial, so I'll be very candid. And so they come in and they say, my assistant or someone on my team has told me that they're uh, suffering, is normally used word, suffering from uh, some sort of you know mental health, mental wellness uh, situation. And I don't know what to do. And it's really interesting to watch their behaviors because it's really similar to leaders who don't who still need to be, uh, have guidance on how to deal with diversity and inclusion. And it's essentially just this muscle that they have not had to flex yet. And it's true. They don't even know where it is in their body. And I use this in the analogy of if you've ever gone skiing, which I've only, been gone, I've only gone skiing twice and there's a reason why. You find these new muscles that you never knew you had. And... Uh, I really don't need to find them again, but that's a really bad analogy because of, of this. But you do find these new muscles in your legs. And I use that analogy for them. Like you've got to strengthen those. And uh, it is so uncomfortable for them to talk about mental health and diversity and inclusion because it's either head down or they don't, they've never experienced it. Well, we all know mental health and mental wellness, they have experienced. But it's, um, you know, and from the Gen Z stand, standpoint, everyone said it here, it's a non starter. Right in interviews, people ask. You know, you're, we're now at a stage where in an interview, what is your uh, your benefits for mental health? You know, and that's something that we now have to train our recruiters for in order for them to. I get emails all the time. How do I answer this? And it's like, wow. well, what do we got going on? You know, and so that's where we're at a different stage where you know. And then when you get a partner to interview somebody, or you know, you have to build that bridge, or else they're on. And I think this is they're on to the next company. Because, by the way, we have a surplus of uh, jobs and a shortage of talent. So they are able at this entry level to have that flexibility to get to where they want to be. And tech's doing a really great job. You know, Vice is doing a really great job. We know companies that have these reputations. So for historically challenged companies, it is harder. And I think that's the generational piece of it. It's catch up. Or nothing else, or get out, which that's not an option. So it's catch up. It's where everyone's playing catch up. Right. I mean, wow. I was a recruiter for many years, and that would never have been part of I, a candidate has never asked me that. I and mean, I haven't been doing this for a long time. So the world really has changed, um, which is a positive thing if people are open to it and they're going to push for it. And the other thing that that struck me as you were talking is. Again, when you come from an industry, you know, and, and in your industry in particular, it's a lot of white men, a lot of men, a lot of um, people that you never had to think about these kinds of issues. Because especially in sports and entertainment, everybody just wants to work in these companies. Like you never had to 
think about any of any of this stuff. Um, and so it, it, it brings me back to the importance, which I know we'll keep circling this on, on training our managers to have these conversations, like the mid managers, but even in this case, you know, the senior managers and, and the partners, like how we have to train these managers. Oh my gosh. All right, Daisy, I want you to answer. And then also Megan McCarthy wrote in the chat, you know, how are you answering that question about what benefits do you offer? So Daisy, you can weigh on, on this broader question, but then maybe, you know, you know, both of you, how, when people ask that, you know, what, what do you say? Funny enough, I just sent both my recruitment team and my talent management team um, an article that came out on Fortune, Fortune last week. Um, basically, that said uh, that Gen Z and millennial workers feel that employers are only paying lip service to mental health. <clears throat> and um, and you know the, the 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 essence of it was just that you know employees are talking about it, but they're not really implementing more mental health support. And I sent this specifically to my recruitment team because, to Nicholas's point. These are the questions that are that are coming up. So we we actually meet on a monthly basis to review the interview questions that we're asking and and what does it look like and what are the questions that we're getting from candidates so that we can be my my approach is we have to be preemptive. <laughs> I was like I don't want to be I don't want to wait for people to be asking us these questions. We should be telling them what our culture is. And I, and I love. Um, that Nicholas pointed out the uniqueness of our industry. Last week, I spoke on a panel that was um, hosted by Adweek, which is a trade publication in the advertising industry. And this was a CMO, Chief Marketing Officer Conference. Uh, and my panel was on the hustle culture <laughs> and how to dismantle it. And, you know, and I told, I told the group, um, you know, it's it's funny that we're even talking about it. I was like, first of all, I'm an immigrant, right? So hustle is all I've ever known. <laughs> I was like, you know, we we have to work three jobs to get the time that this is what we do. You know, this is what I've been trained to do. This is what I've, I've had to coach myself into doing something differently. I'm also an exer. We'll be 50 soon. Like this is this is part of what what my culture has been. But this is not what the new, to your point, the new generation is asking for. But I also should have never ask for that, right? Yeah, just because I was coming into the workplace expecting and saying I would do what was being asked of me, I was I was like like many other women and people of color and you know and people with marginalized identities with LGBTQ, I mean you name it, I, I had to come in every day and put on emotional armor every time I walked into the workplace to protect myself somehow from all of the damage that was coming at me. That's how I protected my mental health. I never knew I could ask someone. But now employees are, are demanding it from the get. They will not join companies that they do not believe will support them, but you're still facing a generational gap. And this is where Lenora was going and, um, and Nicholas of, you know, but the, the rest of my generation hasn't, been, hasn't really quite come along to that. And, you know, I tell my team all the time and, and by my team, I mean, our C-suite, I'm focused on working a, creating a workplace culture that is livable, right? That is full of heart and courage and compassion and kindness and inclusion. And that is fundamentally livable because we have been, you know, we have been just thrust into it. And especially, you know, now as the economy weakens, my biggest worry is that we're going to have to continue to be asked to do insurmountable things with suboptimal resources. And that is never a good equation for mental health. That is never. And, and one of the things that I've, I, I shared this at the Ad Week conference last week, but I've shared this with my team and my peers. You know how I protect my mental health? How I've started recently is sometimes I wake up and, and I say, today I am going to be mediocre. 
I am just going to protect my space and who I am because even in my most mediocre, I get the job done. I do what needs to be done, but I am not going to push myself and, and try to continue to do what I've been doing my entire career, which is form myself into an image of what you think is productivity and what you think is a version of white professionalism norms. I am going to do what I need to do. And I am going to focus on the urgent, not, you know, and, and, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to focus on the urgent at every minute of the day. I'm going to focus on the necessary and pick from the urgent what I need to address now so that I am not, you know, we're constantly in this push and pull between what's necessary and what's urgent. And we haven't taught our employees and our leaders how to manage that. So that's, that's one of the pieces. Uh, and, that, and by the way, that language, Erica, to your point about geography, feels very American to my mm-hmm. teams that are outside of the U.S. Yep. And so when I speak to my European team, my, my Middle East team, just like they love it. They're just like, this is great, Daisy. But like, how do we you know, talk to our Saudi folks about this? You know, my, my APAC, what we do is that we talk about, well, what feels bespoke to you, right? Because they get excited about it. They're like, oh, we get it, right? We're humans. It's very human. (laughs) This is a very human need. But we have, it just feels a little too posh to say that, Daisy, right? That's what I heard in the UK. You know, in Saudi Arabia, I was like, that feels a little too advanced for us. In APEC, it feels a little too, you know, just like wishy-washy, Daisy, right? It's just, it's the language that we use. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, what's the language that suits you and your teams so that we can help them, you know, get to where we want to get so that, People find that comfort and they love it. Like they they love sending my emails. They always say, and I and I try to make my emails as as global as possible. But they're like, we we love sending your notes because when people see them, they're like, oh, okay, you know, corporate believes in this. So we should find a way to find our health, our happiness, our inclusion. Um, and then I'll, I'll close and I I don't, I don't want to go on and on, but I will say in terms of language, Lenora, when you were speaking, I was thinking about a recent conversation. I recently had um members of my C-suite and we were talking about burnout. And I was like, and this is how we're going to address burnout. And we're talking about these benefits and we have new benefits through Cigna and some new partners that we're engaging with. And one of my colleagues just said, can we stop using the word burnout? I'm just tired of the word burnout. And I just turned to him and I said, just because you don't say it doesn't mean that people are not going to experience it. I was like, so I'm sorry. I was like, I'm not going to sugarcoat that one. I am in the world of language all day long. I will figure out how to come up with different ways of addressing this, but I am not going to put another word on burnout. You want to talk about languishing? We all love Adam Grant. I was like, sure, it still leads to burnout. <laughs> so, so I say that because that was, you know, they're, they're going like, oh my gosh, all of our young employees, all they're talking about is how burnt out they are, how exhausted, how traumatic everything is. I was like, okay, these words aren't new. There's just a freedom to use them in the context of work that you didn't grow up with. But that doesn't mean that that's not the context of work that we need to navigate now. So like you need to build your muscles and figure out how to do this. So that's that's just a story that I thought of. Oh, right. I mean, that's a lot of irony right there. Um, Leonore, I think you wanted to weigh in on something. Yeah, well, so I just wanted to come back to something. You said so much, Daisy, that I would love to sit and chat about this all afternoon, but I know that Erica wants to get us to Q&A. So I'm going to be quick in this one reaction to something you said, which is, um, you know, this notion of employers having to compete for talent and particularly for younger talent who discern appropriate job opportunities along different criteria than we Gen Xers did, right? Or perhaps even the millennials did. 
And another interesting data point from the informal straw polls I do with my Vanderbilt students is I ask them how many of them would go work for a company whose purpose they didn't believe in. And they all said no, right? So aligning with the purpose of a company, I think, has a lot to do with a person's mental wellness. It's a drastically different experience to get up every day and go work for, you know, to put money in someone else's pocket and you don't care about that, you're not connected to that, and that sort of crushes your soul over time, than it is to go work in a company with whose purpose you really align. And a very interesting example of an employer seeing that is with my ESG students, I have them do real world assignments with companies who want good work done by Vanderbilt students. So if any of you ever want a team of Vanderbilt students, um, <laughs> reach out to me because I, I love to deploy them. But there's a um, company in town that has a big investment by a well-known New York private equity firm. And they said, oh, we need your students to come help us figure out what our employee value proposition is. So Beyond the fact that so we're in Nashville, we're Music City, this is sort of a cool brand. Beyond the fact that we're a cool brand, and so what other things do we need to be thinking of? So the benefits tie-in, you know, which I know that Daisy, you've mentioned, but it goes beyond like, do we have lactation rooms or do we have time off to pursue fertility treatments or whatever it is? It's really in ways that companies that have outstanding purposes can get the employees on board to align with those. So there's a lot of this conversation has been, how do we cure mental health when it's gone wrong and people are burned out or suffering? But there's an equally important conversation about how do we take all the things we're doing well that make people wanna be here and really blow the lights out and celebrate those things because those actions really, really increase people's engagement and feelings of well-being in the workplace. Oh, you're you're so spot on, Lenora. And I will say, I don't. Uh, and Nicholas, you may agree. Oh, we do that all the time. <laughs> we, like I said, preemptively, we're like, let us tell you all we do to create the best working environment for you, so you want to come. And th that's the attraction piece. But then we need to keep at it for the retention piece. That needs to be part of the real lived experience in the workplace. And that's it's, that's so true. It's funny you say that though, because I think there's the we're in an industry where perks are the business, right? Where our lives, you know, Erica asked me a question like, what makes you most you? Where do you feel most you? Live shows, right? I'm in the music business because I love going to shows. That's a perk, right? People, you know, when they want to be on a, a soccer team or a football team, right? That's a place for them. Those are additional perks beyond, you know, what you have in writing and your benefits guide, your EAP programs. But for us, that's our everyday. So now we're working to almost strike that balance. And I think it is, it is a balance, right? Whatever you have innately to your business, if it's sexy or if it's not sexy, you know, what, what else do you have to, to bring to that table? Um, and, and it's interesting. I think it's, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're trying to strike that balance with almost our formal benefits program because the life is the life, you know, that you live. I think it's, it's, I'm going to open it up for questions, everybody. So get your questions, but I think it's connecting, starting back with connecting, especially this generation to purpose and finding that sense of purpose in, in all of these organizations to, to at least get them even started talking about, right? I mean, the, the, the benefits. Um, uh, all right. So you guys, a couple of ways. One, you could put that little, click that little hand button and I'm happy you can unmute and I can call on you. 
um, or I could call on you anyway, um, which I won't do, I promise. I, I did want to, there was one comment in the chat from Jessica, and I meant to say this earlier, which I agree. I, I don't know why, Jessica, I've used it so many times today using the word train the managers. I do think of this as more development, Daisy shaking her head too. And, and I agree, it's, it's personal and professional development. It is all of it. And yes, they need it. So I agree with you on that, um, on that clarification. All right. So any questions and Bethany or any of my Tarawat friends, if anybody sees a hand, tell me if they see a hand. If not, I have a question. Eric, I have my hand. Okay. And Brian, who I was going to do a shout out to Brian, everybody. This is Brian Garris, president of Banfield Pet Hospital. It's like all my worlds are coming together. Brian does these amazing round tables called Band Together. And he did one on mental health. And Daisy was supposed to come. I hosted it at my house and Nicholas was supposed to come. Nicholas ended up in LA and Daisy traveled and now you're meeting on this. So all the worlds are, are uh, colliding. So Brian, uh, take it away. What's your question? Awesome. World order is being restored. So Daisy, nice to formally meet you and you too, Nicholas. And hi, Lenora. So um, great, great uh, comments and great discussions. So question I was going to ask is, it feels like associates and employees are becoming clear on these organizations that have a purpose they can connect with and they're hearing about these types of resources. When I think about Banfield, so just, to, just to get some context, we have over a thousand hospitals. So that creates complexity and we have about 20,000 associates. So you have the overwhelming majority of them are in the hospital on the front lines. And so whatever, whatever it is I believe or our organization believes, it takes a lot of time to cascade that information and people to truly feel safe to belong. So when I think about our diversity resource groups and our equity, inclusion, and diversity journey, it's one thing for people to be aware of it and understand it. It's another thing to then action on it. So any just thoughts on how employees actually feel comfortable in having these types of conversations? Because again, it's one thing to know that it exists, but then it there's that moment of truth when I then have to go to a manager and say, I'm not feeling well and I'm having issues. So any thoughts on how to get our employees to feel real comfortable in having those conversations? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Leonora, are you seeing this like in your coaching work? Yeah. So I think the most powerful way to make something okay is to model it at the top. And I think there's, and I've, I've done this work actually with a lot of CEOs who will share about a mental health trial that they've experienced. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find a human being who hasn't, you know, had something happen. And whether they discuss that at a town hall, whose intention is to foster mental wellness in the workplace, um, or whether it's, you know, in some sort of email or even on LinkedIn, but in some sort of public forum to make it okay means that you are implicitly giving permission to every person in the organization below you to have that conversation. And then to the, you know, that's sort of to use Daisy's distinction, which I love, that's how building the awareness. If you have some sort of action plan that follows behind that to say, you know, we we set the tone doing this. And now there's going to be, you know, office hours for managers to let people come talk about issues or whatever your initiative to follow it up means that you're going to land very authentically with your employee population. So I'm sure that Daisy and Nicholas have something to add, but that's what I've seen with my CEO clients. That's that's spot on, Leonora. And, um, you know, I, I write about this in Inclusion Revolution, and I, I, I intentionally wrote Inclusion Revolution for managers because while I absolutely 
100% agree with Lenora. The, the tone gets set from the top. It's the managers that you work with. It's those, those are the people who most directly impact your day-to-day experience. And those are the ones that you that you whose behavior you're modeling, whose conversations you're you're watching. And um, I spend a lot of time doing this work. I spend a lot of time communicating to teams, but I also spend a lot of time with managers, essentially doing that, coaching them and reminding them. They don't need to hear from me. They don't work for me. They need to hear from you. <laughs> they need to watch what you're saying. They need to hear what you're saying. You need to give them. It's it's and, and it's also reminding them of you know a bit of it's perfectly reasonable to actually ask for these things. Somehow along the road we thought it wasn't, but it's actually perfectly reasonable to ask for these things. And it is also perfectly reasonable for you as a manager or a leader to say. Yes and no, right? To find what the right balance. We've also gotten to the place where manage. I, I have managers that will tell me, I was like, well, I can't say no to that. And I was like, why not? <laughs> I was like, if it impacts performance and it's and it's an outright question, you can say no. Your job is to actually listen and to think about what's the right solution to normalize having these conversations. And you know, my favorite question, and I, I always tell managers, I was like, you know, when you start your one-on-one, what's the first question you ask? Yeah, where where are our KPIs? What are we doing? See, how about just sort of sitting and going, like, do you need me today to witness, to help, or to distract you? What do you need from me? Right? It's normalizing what you need from me versus what I need from you at every stage creates an agency and a relationship with your colleagues and your team members that is very different. And you know, and I'll, and I'll close by saying I have a team member right now whose mother is going through cancer. And it is, and it's awful. It is all of those things. And my grandfather passed away from cancer and I went through all of that. And I, when she told me, I called her and I said, okay, I can't tell you what you're going through, but I'm going to tell you, it's going to get harder before you know it. And I want you to know, you can call me anytime that you're struggling because I know you, and I know you're going to go inward and I know you're going to start working extra. And I know you're going to do all these things. And I'm giving you permission. I am telling you, you're going to need to take time off. You're going to need these things, but I'm not going to tell you what you need because you need to tell me. <laughs> you need to, you need to. Have, so I'm just sharing with you. Here's how I handled it. Here's what I did. And I want you to know that everything's available to you. Whatever the menu of options that you need are, it is all available to you. And that moment, that connection, I mean, she just, she took a day off and she said, I went to the ocean with my friends. She's in London. I went to the ocean with my friends and it was amazing. And I was like, that's great. You know, Jake, you need to do that. And that's the kind of relationship that we need to have. I also, and I mean, I'm saying all the sad things right now, but these are these are sad. And I, I absolutely agree with you, Lenora. There's a lot of goodness to be to be carried, but we're also all dealing with a lot of the sadness and the heaviness of this. And you know, people and culture teams, DNI teams, our leaders are handling this. But I had a I had a leader recently whose teenage daughter tried to commit suicide, and it was on a weekend. And he didn't know who to call. So he texted me because we had just spent three days on an offsite. And I said, okay, we're going to work. And he's, he's in another state. It's like, we're going to motor. He's like, here's your resources. They're close on the weekend. I was like, damn it. Okay. Let me call my friends. Let me figure this out. Let me get your head of benefits. We motivated everyone. And all I kept on telling my team was, I appreciate you doing this on a weekend. I know it's extra labor and I'm taking you away from your family. But this little bit of reprieve that we are offering our colleague means the world to him. And this is the moment that he needs. And this is how we show up. And you can all get a comp day next week. And and that 
that moment and he's, you know, and he's past it and things are, it's going to be a long road, but that's the kind of work that we're all being asked to do. And, and it's gotta be, and I brought in his manager and his manager instantly was like, yes, whatever you need, I'll take over next week. You don't come in. We built a plan of support right away to help them feel, feel that they had the backing of the organization. And that's the kind of support that we need. That employee, that leader is going to give us everything as a company, because he feels that we gave him everything. And that's, that's the kind of relationship that we should all have. Um, I, I just got a, somebody sent me a direct question. So Nicholas, I'm going to send this one over to you. We're going to be out of time soon. And I have one quick little question for, for each of the panelists and we'll be in touch. I'm going to send everybody resources and studies and all the different things that people mentioned. Cause I do feel like I could be on here all day listening to you guys. Um, but the question that came in is, um, how, how is mental health related to this great resignation, great reshuffle, you know, whatever we're, we're calling it and, and how can recruitment and retention help support um, mental health? You know, yeah. the, uh, uh, take on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we think about the great resignation, it, it's a lot of what Daisy said is a lot of burnout, right? And it's a lot of uh, options to, you know, either be with family or have to be with family over the job that we have taken on. You know, right? And it's environments that we um, historically have subscribed to as normal working environments that are no longer normal. Um, and that is a part of mental health, right? And when we think of how how do we actually pivot towards retention, I mean, there's a plethora of things that we have to discuss and, and evaluate when it comes to retention numbers. But the mental health of our employees is at the top of that list because of the work and the quality of work that everyone expects. And how do you strike that balance and stay in the house, right? That's the, the balance is the secret sauce as well as, and, and to get that balance is all, you know, all the support that we've been talking about today. And so it's directly connected. I mean, it, it, the, it's, it is the answer, you know, like mental health and mental wellness is the answer to retention. And, um, you know, that's, Plain and simple, and and the further that we get down this journey, the uh, I, I do believe the more retention that we'll see, and the less turnover rates, and especially at the Gen Z level, because those are the individuals within our companies that really need that extra, as we've talked about, that extra support. Right, and you, and they're going to ask about it in the interviews. It's going to keep them engaged. It's going to, you know, they'll they'll stay longer, be happier, and it, yeah, and and even trying to get. And that's a, another reason is to to have those programs, but then to get the you know the old people. I'm I'm in that Gen Gen X group, you know, and the people in this generation comfortable having those those really important conversations. So, my my last quick question for each of you, which um, Nicholas, you alluded to it earlier, so um, you might know it's coming. But I, I asked this in in my interviews and on my podcast, and I think it's really important because. You know, we, the three of you are in the coaching people, DNI, HR space, right? Um, many of the people on this call are. And um, as I said, I don't remember if I said it when we started this or when the three of us were on before we started, but I, you know, heard somebody today say, you know, I didn't ask for this. Like we as people, people in the HR space and CEOs, leaders are in the middle of this. And we need to put our own oxygen mask on first. We need to take care of ourselves. And as somebody who wrote a book on rituals and 
think that rituals is actually a really great tool to, to be able to make sure that you invest a little bit in yourself. And so the question that I'll ask all of you is, you know, just very quickly, what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you? Or, you know, what do you do in your life that helps you take care of you? And uh, Leonora, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of mental health is connected to control and anxiety about the things that we can't control, right? Which is like a topic for a whole other day. So I won't go there. But I have awareness around that. And so sometimes I feel really settled when I gain control over that, which I actually can control. And one of those things is what my family eats for dinner every night. So I have a dry erase board in my kitchen. And every Sunday, I work with my girls to make the list of what the schedule is for the week, what meals we're going to have. I get their input on what to prepare. And then we shop together. Really small ritual, but it makes us all feel grounded. I love that. I love that. Nicholas, what about you? Lenore, you are the parent that I wish to be. That is That, that planning is just amazing. Um, I feel most like I, I mentioned that live events, just being in, in a room full of people, but I'll, and I saw Brian said this as well. It's, it's really music, right? And being able to disconnect and be empowered or find an emotional journey that you, uh, that you feel connected to in that moment. And I think, you know, whenever anxieties hit, rough times hit, you need a little bit of a boost. You need a little bit of a come down. People tell me I need a little bit of a come down sometimes. There's different tones of music. That really helped me get there. And that's it's a a bit of an escape, but it's also a a touch to creativity. I think we all are our most pure selves when we lean into our creativity, good or bad, good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, and finding out, right, what do we do that makes us feel most like us is Mm. often, often is connected to this wellness. It makes us feel good. And yes, Brian, we've spoken about the music a lot. Jessica just wrote in movement, dance breaks, um, walks with music. Like for those of you who haven't heard that question, think about what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you and build it in. Um, and maybe even between now and May 31st, right? We have a bunch more days for Mental Health Awareness Month. Build it in um, and try to get that muscle movement started. And Daisy, I'm going to give you the last uh, the last word. And um you know, I miss everybody already. And don't forget to buy Daisy's new amazing book, Inclusion Revolution. Daisy, thank take it away. Thank you so much, Erica. Leonora, I'm also a parent and I am with you. Like my Sunday night ritual for what does the week going to look like and where's Papa going to be this week or where's Mama going to be this week is what it's what takes care of the family, which Erica takes care of me. When my family's taken care of, I feel taken care of. But I will also say as an HR professional, I do this all day. I give I give my energy. I do that. And I am I am not. I come across as an extrovert, but I'm actually a lot more of an introvert. I am done by the end of the day. I have nothing else. And so every day my family knows that I get 30 minutes just to myself to watch garbage TV, to like just like lock, I lock myself in a room. And that's when I replenish so that I can give back because I need to just get it all out so I can be me again. Yep. You're putting on that oxygen mask on first. Well, all three of you, thank you. Thank you to Tarawat again for hosting this amazing conversation. And again, it's I love what you stand for, Tarawat, that everybody deserves a good coach. I feel like I now have three new coaches after this conversation today. I have learned so much. Can't wait to see all of you in person at a music event. I'm going to London. I'm going to see Nicholas in July. I'm really excited. So goodbye, everybody. Keep in touch and be well. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for tuning in to Left Door Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly-ish update on all things human at work or just want to say hello, email me at erica at ericakeswin.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you soon.